Do you want to go down to a 40-hour week without losing revenue? If you're ready to let go of all the extra hours, the stress, the overwhelm, and the clients who hijack your time, consider my signature program, Down to 40 Hours CPA Mastermind. In it, we'll get your accounting practice under control. We'll fix your pricing problems. I'll show you ways to price so you stop giving away the farm so you bring in more revenue for the work you're already doing. I'll help you disengage the clients who are good people but are holding your business back and slowing you down. I'll help you package up your services and design them so they're easy for your clients to understand and choose from while helping you simplify and standardize what you sell. And we'll focus on making your messaging more interesting and compelling so you attract more of the kinds of clients you want to work with and break out of the hodgepodge of referrals trap. We get your prices up, we get your workload down. We standardize, we simplify, we streamline. And we do this at a pace that feels doable, where you feel confident in every choice you make. Prices up, workload down. Registration is open now. We start Tuesday, May 7th. Come with us. Go to GeraldineCarter.com to find out more. Welcome to the Business Strategy for CPAs podcast, where I help overworked CPAs go down to 40 hours and then 25 without giving up revenue. My name is Geraldine Carter. Today I talk with Jackie Meyer, founder of Meyer Tax Consulting, Tax Plan IQ, and the Concierge Accounting Coaching Program. We talk about ways to navigate common pricing and common niche challenges for accountants and CPAs. Jackie had direct experience in her firm and has seen firsthand the challenges that accountants face when making the transition from the traditional model into a model that focuses on value creation for clients. Here's our conversation. Enjoy. Welcome to the Concierge CPA Podcast. This is a very special episode where we are doing a a joint session between Geraldine Carter and myself, and we're promoting it not only on the Concierge CPA, but also on her amazing podcast called Business Strategy for CPAs. And so we'll be just kind of interacting and both answering questions together today on two of your most pressing issue topics that we always hear as coaches, which is pricing and niching down. So Geraldine, you ready to go? Let's roll. Awesome. Okay. So let's just dive right in. What are the most common pitfalls or complaints or overwhelming things that you hear from accountants in regards to how to price? When it comes to pricing, pricing is a huge topic. And in terms of simplifying it for accountants, I think the main pitfall where people get tripped up is still thinking that pricing has to do with cost, it has to do with time, it has to do with effort, and it has to do with how much work I put into the thing. They tend to walk through those doors to get to the price rather than coming at price from the value side on the buyers, from the buyer's perspective. That is the main one that I think is the both the most difficult and the most important for any seller of any product to wrap their heads around. For sure, yeah, because when you look at the history of the hourly billing model, I mean it was essentially just accountants copying the attorney's hourly model and that's 
stuck for, you know, decades now, right? But it's not the most beneficial for either party because the accountant is limiting their time to limit the cost to the client when it should be the opposite. You should be maximizing your time to maximize the value that you're bringing to the table. I think of it like just focusing on the value that you bring to the table, period. Yeah, that's true. Because saying maximizing time, that's because it's it's not about time. It's about knowledge, right? It's about the value. It's about the value. And the value can lie in the services, the deliverables, the PL, the balance sheet, the reports. And they're often there's so much more value in the quality of the experience that your client is having with you and the transformation of the experience. So I help my people figure out what is the transformation that your clients, your buyers are looking for. And usually that falls into one of four categories, more money, which has all the kinds of ways that you can create more money, more profit, less taxes and so on, less stress or whatever negative emotional experience they're having when it comes to money, more time and more clarity, those four things. If you can move the needle meaningfully on any of those four areas, you can create a lot of value and it has nothing to do, it need not have anything to do with the amount of effort or time or toil that you put in. So that's, if you can focus on that for your clients, then all of a sudden you can find ways to create that value with doing less sort of toily keying in of data work. So let's take a step back here real fast and let's tell our listeners, if they're on my side of the podcast, a bit about your background and like, how did you become passionate about this topic? I just couldn't get my head around why accountants were working weekends (laughs) because these are professionals with an incredible amount of expertise and value to the marketplace. And they save their clients oftentimes tens of thousands of dollars in the snap of a finger. And yet they're working nights and weekends. And I was going, what is going on? And these are the people who, in theory, touch business all the time through osmosis. And they're accountants and they see money moving in and out of businesses all the time. Why is it that the money people are working weekends? What's going on? So that's kind of how I, I mean, I have a whole long backstory, which I don't think we need to get into. But (laughs) (laughs) That's that's the elevator pitch version. (laughs) Okay, cool. Yeah. I mean, for me, it's just being a practitioner myself of 12 years, I went through all the highs and lows and found the answer for my own firm, which was, you know, moving to value pricing model and specifically niching down into tax advisory services. And so, I mean, that became my passion. And now it's like my daily mission is to like get more people to be doing those things because it just solves pretty much every problem that our industry has when it comes to burnout and, you know, overwork, underpaid. And we need more people excited and wanting to come into this profession, not retiring. Yeah. Right. Yes. I couldn't agree more. (laughs) I think accountants and CPAs are a key piece of the business ecosystem because I was a business owner myself. You asked how I got here. And part of how I got here is that I co-founded a business with a friend. And after five years of running the business, we we were generating more than a million dollars in revenue. And I have an engineering background, so I was fine with the spreadsheets, the money, and the math, but I couldn't find my account anywhere to understand what was going on with taxes and how much I was going to owe and set aside and all those things. So... I'm on the buyer side of the experience and I bring that perspective that I think is helpful to accountants to help them see what their clients might be experiencing. 
because you guys are so good at what you do and you say things like monkeys could do my job, which is completely crazy. Monkeys cannot do your job. Right. And <laughs> yeah, that's how I feel it. We just undervalue ourselves constantly. Yeah. Right. Under not your well, there's undervaluing yourself and there's undervaluing the service that you provide. Those are two distinct things that need to be handled separately. But it, oftentimes, yes to both. I'm curious to toss it back to you. What are some of the challenges that you see? with the folks you work with when it comes to pricing and the common sort of predictable challenges that they face? Accountants want very black and white, clear instructions on like an exact formula for pricing. And that's impossible. That's literally impossible to do. And so you have to step a a little bit out of our typical comfort zone of reading line by line exactly how to do this, right? and get a little creative with it, right? You've got to get that confidence. So I see all kinds of issues, but really it's like that black and white thinking of like, well, there's the AICPA hasn't told us the exact formula for this. So I just don't even want to mess with it, you know? But the AICPA, we were talking beforehand, they do have their own value pricing tool. And um, I have my own tax advisory software for accountants called Taxman IQ. And we actually baked in and a suggested pricing model just recently around what the AICPA says you should value price. And it's, it doesn't say anything about time, right? Mm-hmm. But it does talk about urgency. It talks about the complexity of the engagement, talks about the like intangible benefits that you're bringing to the table for the client and risk. Risk, complexity, urgency, and intangible benefits. And so based on if those are low, medium, or high, you can kind of back into alongside the the actual ROI tax savings that you bring to a client when you're niching in tax advisor in particular, you can back into a pretty great reasonable fee. But people are scared that their neighbor down the road is going to be lower price. Right. And so they're like, well, wait a minute, I can value price all day, but no one's going to go with me because the the firm next door is only charging 500 bucks for the same thing. And the key there is that it's not the same thing. And if it is, you're in trouble. Right. So you if you're doing just the bare basics, reactive work, then, yeah, charge 500 bucks, flat fee, whatever. But if you are bringing something of value to the table, like these intangible benefits, a lot of knowledge, et cetera. You just say like, look, you're trying to compare apples to oranges here. I always told people in my firm, clients directly when I would interview them, it was a mutual agreement whether we took them on. It wasn't just them picking us, right? I would say, hey, we're probably going to be the most expensive accountant that you've ever used. But we're also geared around bringing you like the biggest ROI that we can possibly do to the table. And it's just setting the stage really early that we're, you know, we're not trying to compete on price here, right? We're trying to compete on the amazingness that we can bring to the table. So for your clients, I want to ask you about tax planning in particular and the value pricing of tax planning. Before I even do that, there's a piece of value pricing that is around having an individual conversation with an individual person to establish the value to that one single buyer and getting to that value by asking the why questions. Why me? Why now? Why in this manner? 
Is that your approach when you value price tax planning or do you do it a different way? And the reason that I ask this is because there are people define value pricing differently. So I just want to clarify for the listener, which version of value pricing we're talking about. So are you talking about how like value billing is done on the back end based on what you did? I define value pricing as kind of upfront for the expected, all those urgency, complexity, knowledge, items, whatever. So upfront, you're saying, hey, here's my cost or your investment in us for this estimated tax savings, all of these packaged offerings we're giving you, et cetera, right? Is that what you mean or do you mean in a different way of defining it? So it sounds to me like you're having a single conversation with a single buyer at a single time and assigning them, giving them a price for the tax planning that you are going to do. Is that, do I have that right? Yes. Okay. So we hone in really specifically on the fact that most buyers, their pain point is that they don't feel like they're optimizing their tax savings, right? Mm-hmm. So, yep. you know, people are kind of coming into the discussion with us around the assumption that that is their biggest pain point. Mm-hmm. You know, we state that we're completely paperless and virtual and like other stuff like that to kind of make make sure that we're pre-qualifying, that we're all on the same page about how we like to communicate or how we like to work with clients to make sure that that's what they're interested in as well. Um, But yeah, we like dive straight into, hey, I've come up with this proposal of I found 50,000 of tax savings. We think we can get you an ROI of 400% plus. Here's all the intangible benefits or competitive advantages we bring to the table in order to do that. Of course, there's always a tell me all about you section of discovery, right? So you're listening and you're hearing like, what are those true problems and making sure that you're customizing that solution. Okay. By contrast, a thing that I hear some people talk about when it comes to value pricing is setting fixed prices loosely based off of value and calling it value pricing even though it's fixed. So I just wanted to draw the distinction because sometimes I hear some accountants in the accounting space talk about value pricing that way. And I wanted to make sure for the listener that we were clear about which version we were talking about. Yeah, I completely agree. I I talk about that in coaching as well. I'm always like, value pricing is not fixed fee pricing. So it's not a client falling into three different buckets of 500 a month, 1,000 a month, or 1,500 a month. So every client was custom quoted um, at our firm based on that individual conversation. Yeah. Okay, great. (laughs) Not to go down the rabbit hole, but sometimes people will say that fixed fee... No, no, I appreciate you bringing that up. Yeah, because I I see that too. And it's so easy to confuse all these terms. They'll say that fixed fee is cost plus, which is down the rabbit hole, but I don't think that fixed fee is necessarily cost plus. I mean, every price at the end of the day is relative to cost in some way. So... So I wanted to come back to the piece about value pricing, the tax planning, because where I hear some CPAs get skittish is pricing based off estimated tax savings. And they will say things like, I can't guarantee that I can save them that much. I don't know how much I can save them until I get under the hood. I don't want to price based on how much I can get them because of the uncomfortable nature of the incentive, conflict of interest. So do you hear those things? And if so, how have you addressed them? Oh, yeah. I hear those all the time. 
I think a big win that we had this year in the industry is that, you know, my software, which is all around this kind of trademark ROI method of tax planning that I created, our software was selected by the AICPA in their cohort to essentially, you know, support what we're putting out there in regards to how to value price. And so that seems like such a huge win to me because I always hear, oh, that's against AICPA guidelines, or that's not ethical, or, you know, of course I can't estimate their tax savings. Well, again, it's about just getting a little bit outside of your comfort zone of to the penny exactly what their tax savings is going to be. Of course, I'm never going to propose that to somebody, right? But I can get 95% accuracy. And that's really freaking good, if you ask me, with just taking a look at their prior year return, asking some questions, and then pulling together this kind of phase one of a tax plan proposal for the client. And so I would never propose to a client, hey, I want you to put 50 grand a year into a retirement plan if I hadn't verified with the client first that that's something they're able and willing to do. And so it's about asking these framing questions that hone in on making your proposal very, very accurate from the beginning so that you don't have any surprises on the back end and you know that you're going to be able to bring what you said you're going to do to the table. But yeah, I mean, I I also will stay to the client just so they know, like I, I can never guarantee tax savings, but I can guarantee their satisfaction, right? And so like if something goes awry and if it's, a, if it's on me, I'm going to make it right. I love it. So when it comes to this kind of service, is this your top tier level service? Do you have any kind of product ladder where people can get on at lower rungs and work with you? How have you set that up? I used to take anyone and everyone. And then in 2016, I was kind of hitting the bottom of the barrel when it comes to like frustrations in my practice and trying to balance family life and stuff like that. And so I sought out a business coach and we essentially just developed these tax advisory packages, which are public. If people want to go to Jackie.cpa, there's a packages, I think forward slash packages. I'll put, we can put it in the show notes, but I, I let everyone and anyone go look at those package offerings because I know that can hold people back from moving forward with this kind of stuff too. And it's been very, very successful for us and a lot of other students. But we developed kind of three different package levels in regards to the things that are provided and how often we interact with the client. I went one by one to my clients. I identified kind of like the top A-list clients. And I went one by one to custom quote them over into a particular package offering. Um, and I, it was a about year to journey to fully transition out people that just weren't a good fit at all for that. I sold 60% of my clients back then um, to refocus on the 40% that I could align into this new offering. And it was, it was amazing. Like the clarity that you get from showing the client exactly what's included or not included in their engagement is fabulous. Right. Yeah. Because accountants don't do that. We're just like, Oh yeah, I'll do your taxes. Oh, okay. Well, what the heck does that mean? Does that mean I get to call you anytime or not? So those expectations have to be clear. Yeah. And it's a real problem if in the absence of expectation, then the client will just 
behave in whatever way is most suitable for them. Oh yeah. They'll steamroll you, right? Just like any relationship and boundaries, right? They're going to take it to the extreme as much as they can. And they have no idea. Right. The rules of engagement, so to speak, have not been articulated. So the client has no idea. I'm curious to know about how your mindset around pricing has changed because I think changing the way that we think about money and pricing is one of those brain benders. And now that you're num- you're a number of years beyond the transition, what do you see so clearly now about pricing that you might not have seen or was hard to see seven or eight years ago? How much the traditional model of pricing is hurting, killing, literally, accountants and their clients. No one is happy with this model. It doesn't work. It doesn't make sense. It's the opposite of what we want to do, which is help people the most we possibly can and strategically think around every engagement that we're a part of. And so it's just like, it's just the opposite of what we actually think it is. And so I just, I, I wish that people, you know, would hear that and understand it, but Maybe you can translate that. How would you how would you translate that? <laughs> how would I well, how to translate which piece of it? I mean, huge thing to unpack, but by and large, the hourly billing model, if I wanted to design a business to make myself work long hours, be entirely frustrated, do things in an inefficient way, and be underpriced and make a lot less money than I possibly could by a factor of five, probably, I would bill hourly. <laughs> That's how I would design it. Yeah. It's it's crazy, but it's also tragic because business owners are the backbone of the American economy and they are suffering with a lack of clarity around their numbers. There's a lot they don't understand. There's a lot that's really important to know. It's not that they can't do math. It's that they have not been educated and explained to how money moves through their business and how to manage it well so that they can manage cash flow and not run out of cash, which is why they fail. But where are the accountants helping them figure this out? And the accountants are simply too busy because they've gotten buried under a snow pile of work because of hourly billing and generalism. Yeah, that's fair. Let's talk, let's shift a little bit into niching down. What are your thoughts on the success of people that niche their practice around certain industries or other ways versus generalists? Similarly, you can run your practice any way you want, but if you want to have an easier to run practice, a practice that brings you more joy, it's more fulfilling, it has more impact for your clients, you make a bigger difference, you're more helpful, and you make more money, and you leave the office at five, if not three, having checked off all your items on your to-do list, niching facilitates that because it enables you to deepen your expertise. When you deepen your expertise, you provide more value. When you provide more value, you can increase your prices. When you increase your prices and your business is simpler, you have higher margins. When you have higher margins, you can let go of more clients. You don't have to serve as many. When you're serving fewer clients, you can simplify your business. When your clients are also inside your niche, it's a lot easier to optimize, to set up your workflow, systematize and optimize it, further increasing your margins. And then you just keep on plowing those gains back upstream and it becomes an upward spiral. So I watch my clients niche, I help them niche, and it is amazing what it does for their accounting practices. It helps them do all those things that I just mentioned. And the most important of those things 
is it gets them out of the chaos and the insanity, the hamster wheel, the helplessness, and the feeling of hopelessness that they are trapped. And it gets them on a path to running an accounting practice that they really enjoy that's nicely profitable. Yeah. Now I get a lot of the times I'll get, I don't know how to niche. I don't enjoy working with any of the clients that I work with. I don't have a particular passion. You know, I don't know which clients the most profitable. How do I pick? Like, how do I figure out where my passions lie with niching? How do you respond to that? This is for folks who are at the very early phases of niching and have clients who are kind of all over the map, a manufacturing, auto body shops, and e-commerce, some inventory couple of retail shops downtown, a chiropractor, some health coaches, right. <laughs> you know, and a photographer and their church. When you have clients who are just splotches like a Jackson Pollock painting, the thing that I say is like the place to start is what are two things of all of the things that you do? What are two things that if you never had to do them again, you would just never miss them? And usually people say inventory and manufacturing. Not always. Some people love manufacturing, but a lot of people are like, no more inventory, no more manufacturing. And a lot of people say professional services because the businesses are relatively straightforward in the mid and high six and early seven figures. It's still a pretty straightforward business. And it's relatively easy to systematize on your side, on the accountant side. And there's a a big delta, there's a lot of value that you can create for your buyer at those revenue ranges um, in ways that make it pencil and mutually assured profitable, mutually assured profitability on both sides. So that's a really nice direction to go in. But when you're all over the map and you're like, ah, how do I start? Where do I start? It's like stepping stones across the creek. It's just one stepping stone at a time. Do not try and straddle the whole creek. You'll split your pants and fall in the drink. So just get rid of two things that you would never miss and focus on two things that you think you might enjoy and just do that for three months and then reevaluate because niching is a journey. Like even you said, you know, one to two years time to kind of shed your client roster and sort of recycle it, reformat it. Niching is a journey that takes time and it's a process of discovery that happens in listening to your clients and listening to your favorite clients that you most like to work with and hearing the problems that they talk about on repeat so that you can see the pattern. I love that. I have a similar, totally different way of saying it, but it's almost exactly the same thing. So it's either who do you love working with and why? And you can identify kind of your top two clients and then just replicate that, right? But for those that have no one they love working with, then I say back into what you don't want, right? So I don't want to work with people that have no knowledge of basic accounting concepts. Well, if that's the case, then you don't want startup businesses probably. So yeah, you can just kind of back into like what you don't want to work with. And yeah, inventory is tough. I get that for sure. Have you seen any clients go far enough along the niching journey that they start offering digital products and subscription courses based purely on the expertise inside their niche? Yeah, I know you were, we're on air, uh, which is kind of a accounting influencer roundtable together. And I remember us talking about this a little bit. You were kind of curious to find that new subscription pricing model. I'm seeing firms 
one that comes to mind is a really simple example, but you know, simple is great. So she liked working with um, graphic artists as her client base. And in that particular niche, S corps tended to be a great, you know, entity selection type, right? So she developed these training modules for that industry around why S corps are good for you or not good for you and an educational series around that. And then I've seen other people do like monthly town halls for their clients to put them on a subscription type service with different topics every month. So yeah, there's a lot of cool stuff that you can do. What about you? So I'm starting to see people put content behind a paywall in a in a variety of formats. The format is any kind of digital, right? It can be PDF documents. It can be a, co- a compilation of PDFs that you pile into an ebook. It can be a series of videos, short video trainings, five minutes, 10 minutes. The format is less important than the fact that simply it's behind the paywall. And so far, what I'm seeing is that it's included in the monthly service for monthly accounting clients. What I'm not seeing yet too much of is standalone, just consume my content, but not be a monthly accounting client. But I think that's coming. I don't think it's, I think it's around the corner. Yeah. So I had one student that wrote a book to specifically address that market, right? So a a potential client comes in, they're not ready yet for their level of services, but instead they can send them to that book to introduce them to the concepts of the industry. And then I've seen someone actually turn that into a course as well. So you've got like the subscription courses for not quite the right fit for us yet that helps the the consumer self-educate. And then it keeps them in their kind of like top of mind awareness campaign with that firm for when maybe they are at the stage in their business or life that they need that level of services that firm's offering. I've seen that be very successful. I love it. Some great ideas here for listeners for inspiration and kind of how to set it up. Can we go back to more niching, common challenges with niches? Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, you know, the problem with not niching is that it's perpetuating this idea that taxpayers come to us thinking we do it all and we're going to do it all for them, including cash flow analysis, tax prep, tax planning, financial analysis, et cetera. And so when you do niche, again, you're making it so crystal clear exactly where you fit into that puzzle piece of what you can bring to the table. Like when I'm saying I'm the tax strategist, I'm not, I don't do cash flow projections, but I'm going to sure as heck go find another accountant that specializes in that and then have a strategic partnership to where they're getting the best of both worlds. And so I think that's another important reason to niche down is because you can't do it all. And, you know, we're mis kind of misleading or we're reinforcing that negative idea that we can when we are out there as a generalist. Right. You perpetuate more generalism and m- increase the sort of surface area of expertise, things that you can do, which makes your business that much heavier to shoulder. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. How about one of the common protests that I hear is I'll get bored. Have you ever been bored in your niche or have you ever had any clients get bored in their niches? No, never. I mean, I, I worked with high net worth. 
So like high net worth, I have a very, very specific niche. And it was like not something that would probably be practiced commonly across the nation. But I happen to live in one of the highest median income areas in the nation. And so I have a lot of executive type people, business people that have gone from being the CEO or CFO of a huge company to just doing like their own consulting side work, right? And so I would niche in that particular little area and be like, oh, cool, I can maximize a family office for you. I can maximize your tax savings because they're in the highest tax bracket. But, you know, the, the typical accountant down the road isn't thinking about that level of detail for this particular um, clientele. So um, I had so much fun with it. I just loved it. And it was so much better. It really fulfilled my passion and purpose once I honed in on that versus when I was a generalist. And I was like, oh my gosh, I don't want to have to deal with jewelry inventory for this random client, you know? And I felt so much more confident in everything I was doing because I did it so often. Right. The the confidence piece is key. I think one of the things that comes with niching that you maybe don't see coming is the sense of confidence and that you can walk into a conversation and know what you're talking about because you've had clients who have looked just like that client and not just one, but 50 or 100. And it's not that you're the pro and you know every last thing, but having seen the problems of a certain kind of business owner, a certain kind of person, and you know where all the where the pitfalls are, where the potholes are, and you know what to ask, you know what to make sure is getting covered. There's a level of confidence that gets acquired through niching that I think is an, an unexpected and much appreciated benefit. What have your own clients who are in your program, what have they said about that? I think the, I mean, the consensus has been pretty clear. I've, I've never had someone come to me later and say, oh, I shouldn't have done that. Uh, especially with letting go of clients that weren't a good fit. That's so hard for people to do. But once they do it, I've seen it take six, eight years <laughs> before someone does that. And then they're like, I wish I listen to you on day one, like six years ago, this was the best thing that ever happened to me. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's another crazy part thing of our industry is we, I think we think kind of backwards around keeping retaining clients. Like we think, oh, I'm hurting the client by letting them go. And it's the opposite. You know, if at the end of the day, if you're not bringing your all to the table for this client, which is impossible, almost impossible to do under the traditional billing models, mm -hmm. then let them go and let them find, you know, a new relationship that's going to be better for them, right? Yeah. <laughs> Just let them go. Right. And maybe there's an accountant out there who is niched into the very kind of business that they have and letting them go frees them up to go find a person who could be a better match. Exactly. How long do you think it took you before you felt like you were getting traction inside your niche? It was pretty quick. So I went to my like favorite client, pitched him this new thing. He was so over the moon excited. He's like, I've been waiting for this, you know, like I'm so like happy. And then I probably pitched five, five to seven more clients. And at that point, uh, I was making five times as much per client <laughs> than in the in the older model, 
the clients were thrilled with the results that we were able to get. And so I was immediately like, wow, this is, this is it. Like I can let go of these other clients. I'm ready to say sayonara. But sometimes everyone has a different journey, right? And so sometimes it takes someone a little longer to realize that, or maybe they didn't have the two months that I had to pitch the six clients, right? I had to work double time to be pitching these custom packages, but also servicing the old clients. And so, you know, there's a lot you have to balance there. Yeah. That's a common one that I hear at the beginning, especially the working double time piece. Mm Mm-hmm. Because as you make the transition, you're building the new while you're dismantling the old and you're kind of running back and forth between job sites in order to get it all done. But then once you've dismantled the old and it's out, it's gone, then you're fully focused on the new. And like you say, so much easier, especially for the revenue. How was it easy for you to find clients because high net worth as it is something of a horizontal rather than a vertical and in horizontal niches, it can be trickier to find clients. Mm-hmm. How how was that for you? Did you only go fishing inside your existing client roster or did you did you go more broadly than that? Interestingly enough, high net wealth will find you on Google Maps. So if you have an address <laughs> in an affluent area and you note that you are amazing at this or like whatever their problem they're trying to solve, there's not enough accountants out there that that are local or happen to do that specific problem set. And so people found me like that. And I was shocked. I thought they, it would have to be word of mouth or something, but I did get a lot of referrals too. So once those initial clients came in, I would just ask them for referrals in our annual strategy meeting. You know, we'd have a consistent cadence for asking for referrals and, you know, go from there to say, to be very specific about who we want to work with and why. And then it's just like them, right? Like we, you know, we love you. You're so kind and respectful. You're so smart. I get smarter every time I talk to you as a client and, you know, they hopefully think the same of us. (laughs) And that's what I want to replicate, like anyone like that. And then you can also filter out PETAs that way too. Yeah. I love it. That's so helpful. I think for people to hear that they were able to find you when, especially when you were clear on your website about who you work with and how you help them. For sure. Are there any final questions or parting thoughts we might want to leave our listeners with before we wrap up? Well, I always love to ask selfishly and for the listeners, what is like your favorite book or TEDx talk or something like that, that you're like, everyone should go and make sure that this is, you know, read or listened to right after this presentation. Hmm. My favorite one for accountants is a tie either between The Business of Expertise by David C. Baker or the book on boundaries by Cloud and Townsend. That's my favorite too. <laughs> Love it. Yeah. So Boundaries has been one of the most groundbreaking books for me in my personal life in regards to cutting familial familial ties that I needed to cut that it finally gave me permission to. But in your business life, it gives you a lot of permissions that we just don't expect to have. They have the different versions too. They have the ones for leaders. They have the ones for marriage and things like that. And so there's a lot of different paths you can go. So I'm going to second that recommendation right there. <laughs> you can do you can do this. You can stop doing this thing that a lot of accountants do called chasing clients for documents. Yes, when exactly. When you instill boundaries. Awesome. All right. 
Jackie. This was so fun. This was so great. Thank you so much for your time. And for listeners who want to find you, who want to find me, want to, we'll link to we'll link to everything in the show notes, but what is the best way for my listeners to find you? Yeah, so on any social media, I'm typically under Jackie Meyer CPA. And you've got Jackie.CPA that you can go to and see everything that's happening for me. What about you? Best place is GeraldineCarter.com and the Business Strategy for CPAs podcast. Awesome. All right. Well, yeah, thank you for your time. This is a lot of fun. Hopefully we can do a follow-up, maybe turn this into a series. So send us a note if you liked it and we'll go from there. Have a great day. Thanks, Jackie. Thank you. Hi again. Would you rather spend your weekends outside playing or at your desk? In Down to 40 Hours CPA Mastermind, we put an end to overworking while maintaining revenue. Registration is open now, but it won't be for long. Go to GeraldineCarter.com now to enroll today.